0: You're listening to episode number 78 with David Tort. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. I hope you are well. Welcome back to Your Music Industry Podcast. It's your host here, Daniel Fish, helping you survive and thrive in music. So I hope you have had a productive week, You've been getting loads of hours into the studio and producing that music. There's not been much new going on in the industry from my side of things. The only thing I've noticed is Instagram's new feature called Guides. Got a video dropping on Monday to break down how you can use that, as I do think it's a great opportunity for that curative kind of content, that easy to put together content that helps you just put a post out without spending hours or ages trying to think what you're gonna post. So so keep an eye out for that video on Monday. So on today's podcast, we have David Tort. David is an absolute wizard in, in the electronic music world, DJ, producer, and also hotel records label owner, an incredible persona, and yeah, a great conversation coming up. So let's dive straight in. Here is David Tort. Welcome to the podcast, David, and I'm really looking forward to diving in with you today. How is Barcelona treating you?
1: Well, Barcelona is my hometown, so I feel like amazing here, you know. So in some moment of my life, I had like the urge to escape. First of all, I, I, I left to Ibiza for a few years, then I went back. But then I, I moved to L.A. and I, I moved with the whole family, you know. And I love the city, but it's not easy to have a baby there. She was two years old then. So we went back to Barcelona because my wife told me, Hey, you know, you're traveling all over the world and I'm alone here with a baby, so let's back to Barcelona. And now is when I feel like, okay, this is my place for living, you know. But well, right now it's weird times, you know, about the COVID and that stuff. But I think
0: we're handling right yeah because spain was one of one of the first risers, just following after italy wasn't it so that must have been quite weird mustn't it to be living in that and experiencing it firsthand
1: we've been looking at italy and thinking wow are we gonna go next and yes we did but you know i I think all over the world we had mostly the same but it's the government how they handle it or not you know so i don't know what to think man i've been thinking a lot these two months we've been locked at home for uh, almost 60 days i couldn't make music in the beginning it was like totally black out, you know? It was like, okay, I'm going to have time now. No way. And also with me at home, I had to be a teacher and it was difficult. But at the end, if I look back, I think it was a good lesson for all of us. We've been talking to neighbors. We never spoke before, like everyone hanging on the terrace, doing barbecues. It was like super friendly and everyone was kind. I mean, it was a good lesson for the humanity.
0: Yeah I couldn't agree more with that because it is especially like years ago all neighbourhoods were so like well intertwined together and all that kind of thing but now everyone seems to have disconnected so it's like like situations like this which give everyone the opportunity whether it's with your family whether it's with your neighbours and it's a good kind of lesson and realisation that we can still be connected with everyone isn't it? Exactly. I mean, it's sad to have to go through this kind of
1: war pandemic to realize what you have, you know, but I mean, I know a lot of people died. It was really terrible. It's still, but looking at the good side of it is that we have a cleaner planet because I can see it from my terrace. It's like the sky is blue. It's fresh. When I went out the first day it was like plants all over birds. And then this thing like the human connection, you know, But I'm just talking about the good side of it. I I don't want to sound like, hey, this was amazing, you know, because it wasn't.
0: It all comes down to perspective, isn't it? You've always got to try and be at least positive to see the positives in anyone. Yeah, it certainly hasn't been the nicest situation of it all. So, David, to jump straight into the podcast, I'm really curious when I was digging into your background because I learned something that I think shows your mindset and perspective, which was when you started getting into music and your journey, I discovered in order for you to start getting some studio time after you got yourself a drum machine, you kind of worked with the studio owner to help him out in return for some studio time. Could you walk me through that and maybe some of the kind of like pivotal moments in your early kind of music career?
1: Honestly, to me, it started like I finished school when I was 14 years old. By that time we finished school at 14 here. And my dad told me to go to university, but that same month of June of 1988, I went to a club in my town. I don't really live in Barcelona downtown. I live in a small town, like 30 minutes from the downtown, you know? So it was, not we had the first pacha in the wall here. We had some really amazing clubs and I went, I went to a local club and when I got in, I was like, damn, what is this? You know? So... I've been in music since I was a very small kid because my brother gave me a turntable and a bunch of vinyls and I was like listening to a lot of music. Also the radio in the 80s was very like cultural, if you know what I mean. So I've been uh, into electronic music, but I've been into jazz, rock, a lot of stuff. Super Alan Parsons, a lot of stuff. So I discovered Kraftwerk when I was like four or five years old and more other, all that stuff. But I didn't know what it was till I heard it in a club. Then I was like, now it makes sense, you know? And I seen the DJ on the DJ booth and I was like, wow, that's exactly what I want to do. So I started playing and lucky me, since the very first vinyl I played, I bit matched it, you know? It was like natural on me. I was playing drums when I was a kid as well. So it was so easy because... It was already in my system, my brain was programmed to that. So I just started hanging in in local clubs and playing, and then I I had a couple of residencies in pubs. It was just pubs, but it was like small clubs, you know, in that time. And I didn't know anything about production. I didn't even thought I could be a producer. But I was looking on on the vinyls, and I was like, it's always the same guy. It's Todd Terry. Again, Todd Terry, then Marshall Jefferson, another record. It's again Marshall Jefferson. So I discovered there was like a producer person that was doing that stuff. So I went to a studio, they were recording bands and the guy told me, hey, you can hang here with me and learn how to plug a mic. And I learned how to record guitars and that stuff, but that was a long process, like maybe long process at my age, it was like five, six years. And I had a girlfriend when I was a kid, and she bought me a drum machine for my birthday. And I was like, wow, this is the thing. But I spent like maybe seven or eight years trying to make a song with a drum machine and a really small Roland synthesizer. It was impossible, because I, I mean, you know, nowadays, all the young producers, they know they have to put a compressor and EQ, they have serum, they have logic, I had nothing, and I had no money. I was like... Because when I told my dad, hey, I don't want to study, I just want to be a DJ, he was like, okay, Mm, I don't like it, you can do it, but now you're on your own. So you can live here at home with us, but you're not going to get money from us. More or less was like this, the conversation. So it was like, okay, I want to do it, so whatever it takes. And I was like barely surviving with like 100 bucks uh, a week, but... I made it, you know, so years after I got a loan from a bank in my early 20s and I bought a Macintosh computer. Then I got Logic. And then it's like when my producer career really started, you know, like I was throwing out some feelings. I was playing um, during the weekend. Then I was in the studio during week, like, okay, I know what people want. I'm going to do it on my own, you know,
0: say when you were like in your early 20s and you got that loan to get the macintosh did you work that out and think i've got this many dj gigs to pay for it or was that kind of like a leap of faith thinking i've got to be successful
1: i think when i was a uh, 17 or 18 I-, I spent already some years playing in the club you know and i was like i don't know where i'm going i don't know if i'm gonna make this for a living because we didn't really knew that time you know so i couldn't think of a like being an international DJ because I didn't knew that figure exist so we had no internet no connection just some magazines from UK that a friend was bringing to us or maybe something we seen on MTV you know but mm, information was totally shit for us so one day I decided to to go to the arts school and I because I, I really like graphic design as well. So um, I studied some some years of graphic design and I was already making flyers for my clubs. And then I was I started designing some covers for vinyls for, of, of my friends. So I was like, okay, I'm going to open a graphic design office. That's why I got the Mac and I got a partner and we opened this graphic design studio that it lasts like, I think... 3 or 4 years but then when I got the Mac it was like oh my god what I can do with this you know so I totally made it to music
0: so were there any other moments like that like getting the Mac or getting the drum machine that were really like pivotal like were really important in your either development as an artist or really taking a big step forward as a career in music so in the beginning I mean I
1: I called that I have a I mean, I'm saying I have a career since maybe four or five years ago. I never called it like that. To me, it wasn't a career. That's a modern word to me. And I don't, I don't want to sound like super old, you know. But I mean, the first 15 years of my DJ life, I was a resident. I played in all the clubs over here. I had the chance to play the afternoon sessions at Pacha when I was 15 or 16. I wasn't even allowed to go into the club, you know, but I had my connections already, and I told them I was 16. So I could do the um, afternoon sessions. And it was Pacha, you know, so it was so amazing. So I I, I was just a DJ, but I had a lot to offer. I thought I had a lot to offer, because by that time, the music was more like... Super commercial, and I went totally into the underground side. like Front 242, rep. all these bands like Electronic Body Music and German Techno. I really loved the experimental sound. That was what made me, like, be different, but I didn't know what I was doing. I, I just loved it, you know? So we've been a small crew of guys that we liked the underground side of electronica here. I'm talking about here, you know? Mm. So I was just a DJ and I mean, production came later. I had the, the feeling that I, I, I had something else inside of me. that I, I, I always wanted to make a record, you know? And I remember one day it was a resident DJ. I mean, that time being a resident DJ in a good club, it was the maximum you could get. So it was a guy that I really respected a lot. And we were having a beer. And he told me, you know, David, if Todd Terry can make a song, I can make it too. And I was like, ah, so I can make it too, you know? So I was like, okay, if that guy can do it, I can do it. And I did. But my first productions, I still have some tape cassettes with my first productions. And I think one day I'm going to release that just for free. (laughs) So... Then I started, like, it was a very slow process to me. Very slow. First of all, I went to a friend. He had an Atari. I went to his his home, and he had an Atari computer and a TV 303 from Roland and a couple scenes. We've been doing something, but, you know, this is something you have to, to have yourself at home. You, you cannot go on Saturday afternoon to a friend's house and make a song. It's impossible. Maybe now, but not then, you know. So... When I had Logic and that Mac, it really changed my life. So I started doing quite techno and acid because I started playing in 1988. That was the acid moment. And it I think it's a sound that got stuck with me forever. And I love it. So then I made a song in 2000. It was called Drummers of Love. And it was a huge success to me in that moment, but it, it didn't have my name on it. I didn't even have a Producer name. They they've been calling me because I was so I was a small a small guy, super skinny, and they called me the kid. It it, it's el niño in Spanish. So I was David the kid in my in in my town. I made this song. We sold like ten thousand vinyls one summer. I went to Ibiza, and the guy from the record shop, when I was paying with my credit card, he was like, Ah, you're David 3rd You're on the credits of this song, bro. I, I sold like thousands of your binding. I'm like, really? I didn't know. So I spoke to my wife. We're together for 24 years now. So she's like my partner in life and my best friend. And she told me, David, you need a name. Why don't you use your own name? Which sounds good. I'm like, oh, David Tord? It sounds like I'm in school again. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it sounded so weird to me. I was like, no way. But it's my name. And a friend from LA, he told me, hey, it sounds English. You, you can go for it. And I <laughs> and I did. So now it's, uh, I mean, it's me. It's my name, you know, but it, it sounded so weird like an artistic name. But I did. Thanks God. So then I released my first vinyls as David Tort in a record label from Barcelona. I remember going there with the cassette, like, hey, listen to this. No, you're you going to come tomorrow. Okay. Tomorrow again. Listen to this. So he did. And we released a lot like, I don't know, maybe 10 or 12 vinyls in a couple of years or three. But then my life really changed when this friend that was living in L.A., because I he he was a guy that was, he's a Dutch guy that was living in my town, then he moved to L.A. to play the After Hour Power. He was like, come with me just to refresh your mind. You're going to know some other producers, so let's see what happened. And I've been there, it was in 2000, just to hang there and discover the wall. So I met Digi Disciple there. Digi Disciple, we had like a good relationship from the beginning. And then he came to Barcelona to my studio. It was a home studio, totally home studio. I had pillows behind my speakers to control the bass. So we did work it out. I don't know if you know the track, but it was like that song really put me up there in the International League of Producers. But I still was a Small town boy, you know, so I was like freaking out completely. Like, what is this? So that was 2006, I think. My my, let's call it success, but I don't like. and don't. I don't really like to call it success. It's like life to me, you know. So my life started again in 2006. I was I wasn't young anymore. Like I wasn't 20, but I was in the music forever. So we did work it out. Then we did changes, which stayed. 51 weeks in the top 10 in the radio here in my country. I was like, oh my God, something's happening here. And I did Amazonia, Lost in Acid, and these four, five songs really, really changed my life. In between 2006 and 2008, I would say, is when I started getting emails from Sharam, Tiesto, playing my tracks. I was like, what is this? Tiesto is playing my song? So... (laughs) It's when Tiesto switched like, to more housey and everything was changing and my music was changing and it wasn't me alone. It was the whole world was ready for a sound global change, you know? So it happened and I was there. That's it.
0: And there's a, there's a lot to, to say about that. One is the consistency of just keep going and going and going. But also the thing I get from that is it's really, really all about just making great music, isn't it? Because now with social media, a lot of producers, a lot of people can focus too much on building the following, but it all comes down to how good your music is and making the best music you can. And as you're showing there, just by sitting in the studio and what eight to 10 years it took you to start getting that success that you define as, that's a lot of time. And in that time, did you ever think the music industry wasn't for you or were you always like this is this is it
1: I never thought it wasn't for me but I thought there wasn't space for me maybe I was thinking oh I should have born in London you know it would be different of course it would be it would have been different you know but now I understand the plan that the universe had for me it was a very slow going thing you know but yeah, I remember going through really bad times, like nothing on the fridge, no money to pay the rent, like everyone else, you know? We had no social media but by, by then. Then MySpace popped up, and it was like, oh, let's try this. But I, I think, as you said, now it's a mess. And it's a mess because even promoters, they look at how many followers you have on instead of what's the music you're doing, If it can entertain the crowd, if the boss is going to be happy and they're going to be making money because this is a business, we all all live out of this, you know. So I want the club to make money and the crowd go home like this was an unbelievable night. Now is that what happens is that there's a lot of people that they are just copying what's successful. Fisher made a number one. Let's make Tech House in the Fisher's way. But you're not Fisher, you know? you got to be yourself. So what happened to me, and I know because I'm old enough to look back, is that I found my, o- my own sound, but I wasn't looking for it. I was just doing whatever I feel that it makes me dance, it can make my crowd to dance. If you make a song and you're not going to play it, that's the most stupid thing in the world. So you're going to make songs that you're proud of it, like I'm going to play it, I kind of wait to play it. I had another good thing that I was a resident in a club here which was from the same owner as Amnesia Ibiza now it's the 40th anniversary it's not open anymore unfortunate but I was a resident for 7 years there and it was an outdoors club by the beach 3000 people I was playing from 12 till 7 like super long sets and I had the chance to test out my songs there and see what happens come back to the studio change it you know in between, I made a couple of chill-out albums because we were going to Ibiza. We love this Café del Mar thing and chilling, you know. And I discovered I could do other things. Actually, right now, I'm producing three bands, which is myself with some different friends. So I'm not only, only making techno and house And to me, it's just about the mood you are in that moment. Make that music. And it could happen that me, people like it or not. So I wouldn't say it's difficult. It's weird, you know, but it's all about believing yourself and be happy during the, the process. I mean, I don't have a focus or a goal. Is the way going to this goal what's ma- what makes me happy? And I enjoy it a lot, you know, so. And things happen, bro. I mean, I don't want to stress about who's number one on Bitport anymore. One day, one friend called me and he told me, David, you're number one on Bitport. I'm like, No way really? And I was. So I'm like, oh my God. So, and it was a totally unexpected track. It was deep underground with DJ Disciple. I'm like, Jesus, how could this happen? You know, I I never thought it it would happen. Then I started traveling. That was another moment in my, in my life. So they called me to play with Danny Tenaglia and Steve Lawler in Montreal. I was like, super scared. What the fuck I'm going to do there, you know, <laughs> with these monsters on the booth. And when I was there in Montreal, a girl came to me with my vinyl, like, David, may you sign it to me? I'm like, ah, they know my music. I, I mean, <laughs> we, we, we've we been so naive, you know, so of course they know your music, that's why they called you, but we didn't knew it, so it sounds so stupid, but it's the reality, you know. So I was like, oh my god. I, then I went to another club, it was an amazing circuit Gay club, you know, so it was like a wow, an unreal vibe. And they were, they played like two or three of my songs. I'm like, my God, they don't even know I'm here, they don't know my face. So they play it every week, you know, and that was the push to me, like,
0: okay, I'm right. That is so powerful, David. Thanks so much for sharing that. And I think really some like important like lessons in that and just getting in the studio and just trusting. In the process and if as you said if something comes up just follow it see what happens isn't it yeah it is it is but you know
1: those years i mean in between 2001 and 2010 my wife tatiana she was studying so she was leaving the house at 6 a.m and i was going to the studio at 6 a.m every day till maybe 8 9 p.m Of course, you stop for for food or you go have a coffee, but I'm not saying you have to to be a lot of time in the studio, but yes, you have to, you know? But you have to be like not forcing yourself. I mean, I hear guys that they do a song in three hours. I don't know how the fuck they do that shit, you know? (laughs) I mean, I cannot do that. I can make something in three hours, but I need to spend three more weeks tweaking and tweaking and cutting here and there till it's perfect like there's no one boring moment on the song there's no one sound i don't really love you know so yeah it's a question of let's call it effort but it's not
0: it's like just be in the studio and make music that's it Because there's a a principle of 10,000 hours to mastery, isn't it? Of you need to put in 10,000 hours to understand your craft and even in music, understand your sound. And it's just putting them hours in each day, each day, each day, and just taking another step closer, isn't it? It's like 1% better every day. So I'd like to talk about creative block for a moment um, because obviously with all these years of... Making music of being sat in the studio and getting there at six am leaving at eight pm you must have had moments where the ideas went flowing where you had that creative block. How do you approach creative block so if you're sat in the studio and things aren't working, do you reply to emails or do you take a break? what's your approach
1: I many things. So what I usually do since my early days is working on five, six songs a time. So I can open a song, work on it for an hour or three. And when I lose the path, you know, I go to the next one. And some days, I mean, I might have hundreds of demos for myself in my Mac, but the other day I opened it because I'm working on my album now. The other day I opened it songs from 2013. It's just ideas, but it still sounds like me. So I just have to make it sound like 2020, you know? But it's still me. So when I'm going to sleep, I don't even sleep. I'm thinking. And I fell asleep thinking on music. I don't recommend you to do that, you know? But it's, like, natural on me. And I'm lucky enough that next day I remember everything. I never had to run to the studio at 4 a.m. like, oh, I have an idea. No way. I remember everything. So when I have this writer's block, one thing that saved me is this, like working in different ideas. I'm doing punk rock, I'm doing synth pop, then I'm doing techno, I'm doing lounge music. Even if my career as David taught, it's in between house and techno, I don't even know what genre is mine. So I throw a lot of music out of myself, like it's totally sounding different and that refreshes me. But there are some days that I cannot do anything. I'm just... Totally blocked, so yeah, then I answer emails, I update Spotify, I talk to people, I listen to music on Beatport, or I check YouTube for all tracks, and sometimes it happens, so just let it flow, you know, let it be, if you're blocked, you are, that's it, nothing happened, I mean, there's no rush.
0: That is so spot on, David. In that, I think there's a really interesting point. In the first one is, say all these tracks you, you make them where you mentioned like the, the synth pop, the lounge, are they finished and then are you selling them? Are you looking to get them like sync deals or are they just sat on your computer not doing anything? No, no, no.
1: I want to release them and I'm, I'm doing it already. Hmm. I had a side project called Red Low. We have two singles out on Sony Music Italy. It's kind of loungy, Latin, but it's not reggaeton at all. Of course, it's not. <laughs> but it's like my roots. It's a little bit jazz, a little bit Colombian. My roots, I mean music, music-wise, you know. So I love Quincy Jones, and I love Xavier Cugat, a lot of producers that they've been superstars in the 50s and 60s. That kind of sound, I love it so... Yeah, I, I released already a couple albums like 15 years ago. Then I stopped. I, I was f- totally focused on on Electronica, the pure David Third sound, you know, but I think it was three years ago. I was like, okay, I want to have a band. I always wanted to have a band. A, a band is something you have when you're 18, but I'm like, okay, <laughs> we're going to be like the, the old rock stars band, you know, but just with one single out. So we did. I started Motel Boutique. And now I'm working in an album, but it's it's a three years process at the moment. And I wanted to get it signed like in an indie label, but I'm like, okay, it's still sound electronica, so I'm gonna release it in Hotel Records, which is my own label, because I have control of it. And then we'll see. But it could happen that someone could be interested in the album during the the time I finish it. So I don't know, I don't really know, but I really want to release this because it's. It's me also. It's another part of my life. I have things to say. Usually I make instrumental tracks. Now I want to really tell the world what was about my life, what was being in those after hours when you're 15, uh, things that happened at friends that died. I mean, I have a lot of things to say and I need lyrics on it right now. So... And I need to express it in another way. So, yeah, I'm going to release everything. I'm working on my album now, my first solo album ever. And first, I did a breakbeat track. acid breakbeat. I'm like, people's going to freak out. I mean, <laughs> what what happened to this guy, you know? But then I sent it to a couple of friends. I do not really listen to my friends, you know? <laughs> That's another advice. So show them your music, but don't even listen what they say, you know? Because it can really kill you. But... All of them said, David, this sounds dope and it sounds like you. I'm like, yeah, but it's breakbeat. It's not, I mean, I cannot play this in a club. And they told me, yeah, but it's an album. It's an artist album, so you can do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, so this album is, is really different, but it's still myself, you know, so I'm so happy.
0: I look forward to hearing it and we'll be definitely talking about Hotel Records in a moment as well as a a few other things. But I'd like to take a step back for a moment. As you mentioned about like thinking about music when you're asleep, I'd love to get a better understanding of that. Is that you dreaming of being in the studio and playing synths (laughs) or how does that work? Because... It's a really interesting point because we had Chicane on the podcast the other day, who obviously saltwater offshore more of the trance hits. He says now he always thinks about the track before he even gets in the studio. Is that similar and what does that actually look like? I'm not dreaming about tracks, so I'm not
1: I don't wake up with a production down in my head, you know? But yeah. but it's like it's kind of that process that when I'm going to the studio, the track is already done in my mind, you know. But some days I just play a couple of piano keys and there's another song. I didn't even thought about it, you know? So it just I don't know where it comes from. I don't know if it comes from me or it comes from some place in Orion. <laughs> I don't really know. But usually it's that moment in between you're still awake but you you're falling asleep that your mind you know Dali the painter he was using this a lot so is this moment while your conscious mind it's still working so you know what you're thinking but it's your subconscious mind which is really working so that's inspiration to call it something you know so in that moment i have very silly and crazy ideas but they sound really good in my head or i'm like something comes to my mind like oh that all sample from a song or whatever. I don't know. I don't really know how to explain, but it's a process I have and it works to me. But maybe I might be cooking for my family and having a wine in the kitchen. And then it's like, boom, another idea. Or for example, the the song I brought for Tatiana, I was having breakfast with with her. I was just just awake. I was still half asleep, you know, that moment where you, you didn't have a coffee yet. And I looked on her. And a whole riff of a synth came to my brain. And I'm like, I got it. So I was waiting 20 years to write a song for her, but I never found anything good enough to express what I feel for her. What is her? So that was like a illumination that just popped up in my brain. So I don't know. I don't have a um, formula. I have a lot of formulas. (laughs)
0: So it's just kind of what we said before, like trusting in the process, but just letting ideas flow, isn't it? And for me personally, when I'm in the shower, I seem to have loads of ideas when you're in the shower. It's not when you're thinking of ideas. It's when you're not that the ideas come i have found, isn't it?
1: Yes, it is. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I have some producer friends. They, They are like, I have an idea. I want to do this. But I mean, to me, most of the time it's like the idea just comes to me. And then I use it. Maybe the result, it's a completely different track. But that idea, that first thought, drives me to the song. So I can start with a melody, and at the end of the song, the melody is not there anymore. But it was the way to drive myself to that song, you know what I mean? So... It's a very difficult thing to explain because I don't even know myself. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah.
0: It, it's metaphysical, isn't it? It's not. It's, it's not everything we understand, so it's hard it's to explain.
1: Totally, totally metaphysical.
0: So, a big part of your life is not only music, but is the family life side of things. So, your daughter, your wife, which I'd like to congratulate you on is twenty-four years together, is amazing. You hear of a lot of people in music that have struggles with relationships, whether it's balance and family life. Whether it is divorces, I'd love to gain some perspective on how you've really cultivated a long relationship and how you balance family life with making music. As you said, you were going to the studio at six AM, coming back at eight PM. That's not much time for family. So how how have you balanced that date? Well, that that six AM moment was,
1: was when she was studying. So she wasn't home. Mm. You know, I'm a very family guy. Uh, To me, there's two things in life, which is music and family. I don't know which one put the first. Family, let's say. (laughs) to do not sound bad, you know, but, you know, it's really important to me because I'm a very protective guy, but I need to feel protected as well. And that's what they give me, you know. So when the baby came to the family, which was eight years ago, things changed a lot. I need more time for them. When Mia was born, I was traveling a lot. I'm talking about maybe three weeks out, then three days at home, a couple, two weeks out again. I was going like three times a month to South America. My friends were telling me, why don't you stay there? I'm like, because I have a family back here, you know? So I cannot stay on tour for three or six months. So I got to come back and I want to. I mean, when I met Tatiana, I met her in a club. She was a waitress, I was a DJ. So I was already a DJ. She knows my life is this. I would be nobody without this. So I was always bringing food to the table. I was making this for a living since the first day. Even there was really difficult moments like everyone else when somebody loses a job, you know? So we're human, it happened. But I mean, I couldn't be David Torr without my family on my side and I cook every day, I do laundry, I like it. Um, I take, when I'm not working, I don't hang with my friends. That's bad, I should do it, but I don't do it because I'm out a lot. So when I'm home, I'm home, you know what I mean? So that's it. And I'm lucky, I'm lucky to to have met Tati because I seen a lot of friends divorcing and splitting because it's like, okay, mm it's difficult to handle together. I don't think so. I support her when she want to do a new project as she supports me when I want to do a new project. That's it. That's what it is about, you know? So, but I take my time with them. So some days I went back from 23 hours flight and on the way back home, I stopped in the grocery store. So, I mean, when I land, I'm not the DJ anymore. I'm
0: that, you know? So that's it. Oh, that's boss, that's boss. And I think one thing I've just personally just understood from what you've just said is there isn't thousands of different things that you do, and you've got two main focuses, music and family. And as you say there, okay, you don't hang out a lot with friends, which you should, but having that has let you invest all the time in your family, in your wife, in your daughter, which has really helped cultivate that relationship, and that's where your priorities are at, aren't they? So how do you balance family time say now do you say you're working 9 till 5 p.m and then have family time or how do you balance that at the moment well now it's
1: easy because mia goes to school not now because she's not going to school now it's difficult (laughs) but so i i drop her at school which is two blocks from home and then at 9 a.m i'm in the studio till one then i stop a couple hours and i'm back so everything's going so smooth and good you know The only that I miss is my friends, which they are spread all over the world. That's a part of my life that I would really, I mean, I look on my other friends from here. They are not DJs. They go out for a beer at 7 p.m. They do things that I don't do. And sometimes I'm like, maybe that's the human thing to do, you know, going to watch football in a pub. But I don't want to do that. I want to stay home and watch a Netflix with Mia and Tati. And people don't really understand, but I'm happy this way, so I don't really need to explain anything to nobody, you know?
0: Yeah, it's not a sacrifice because that's not what you'd be doing anyway, but people need to understand that. You do have to make some sacrifices to get to where you are, David, or where any big artist is.
1: We are judged a lot. (laughs) We (laughs) we, We get a lot of judgments daily. You get used to it, you know? So from people that knows you and from people that they don't know anything about you. So at the end, it's like, okay, if you're happy, you live your life your way, you know, that's it
0: powerful extremely powerful thanks for sharing that david so we are coming into the podcast so the the last big section that i'd really like to dive into is your record label hotel records which is spelled h-o-t-l i'll put a link in the show notes to everything so people can find out but i'd love to gain some perspective as you've released on a range of labels from size records to dawn spinning and many many more What's the vision behind starting your own record label? And what power does that give you?
1: That's a long answer. (laughs) (laughs) There was a moment you mentioned Axton and Size. I mean, that's really big labels to me. Axwell and Steve and Seb, they were artists I was like respecting a lot. I still respect them a lot because they did something. They changed the sound out there they had something special. So to me, releasing with them, it was amazing. Also Derry South, a lot of guys, you know. So I started sending them tracks and they were like releasing it and I was like, amazing, this is just unbelievable, you know. What happened then is that the progressive house that I was doing at the moment, because I always been like a tech house and progressive house kind of guy, you know, Mm. but I started doing progressive house. Like when I was a kid, I was looking at Sasha, Hernan Catania, Tenaglia. I was like, oh, that's the sound I like. That's another reason why I wasn't successful enough, let's say like this in my own country, because my country had another type of sound. So I started traveling around there, you know, so which is good but what happened? EDM came in. Let's call it EDM, so everyone understands. And I was doing progressive house, and this EDM scene came in, festivals, big crowds. I'm a club guy, you know, I don't really feel comfortable in a festival if it's not perfect for me to play, and I mean that kind of festival where I can be myself. So promoters started putting me in kind of festivals, I'm super happy and I feel proud to have played Tomorrow on at Dimitri Vegas and like Mike's stage. That was a highlight of my career. But I was thinking, thanks God, I'm not playing the main stage, you know? Because it wasn't my sound. So what happened to me that I felt lost. I felt like the industry and my music genre is going somewhere that it's not me. And I felt completely lost. Then I moved to LA and, you know, coming from a 75,000 people town to a 13 million people city, it was a shock. And I love it. LA is a a city that really changed my life. I love it. I feel like home there, but it was everything happened in the same moment. And I was like, I didn't know what to do. I was going to the studio. I didn't know what music I had to do. You know, my brain was techie but promoters were, were, were calling me for progressive. I felt completely not myself. And then I, it's been a rough year to me. I was playing a lot. I was, everything looked really good from the outside, but in the inside, it was terrible. So one day in Miami, I went to space and I wasn't resident in the space anymore. I, I've been there for six years, but then that, 2015, 2015, I was hanging with Markem and Adrian Auer and we went to space and I was like, damn, this is the music I really love. And this is the music I really like to do. It was so tech house. Then I decided, okay, if labels want me to do EDM, but I don't want to, I'm going to start my own label and I do whatever I want. So this was the main point of my, of starting my label, you know? Another thing was like I was getting a lot of demos of guys that they weren't signed to labels because they wanted the big room stuff. They were sending me music more tech, techie oriented, like the old David Thor that I was. I'm like, okay, I have everything here, so I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna help other artists as well. Guys from Venezuela, they they didn't had like the tools we have because of the government status, and guys from India or. I don't know, um, I'm like, okay, I can help a lot of people and I can be myself. So I started Hotel, from the first two, three releases, everyone knew I had a label. I'm like, it was so easy because of the work I did before, you know? So easy, I mean, to reach out to DJs and say, hey, I have a label and this is what I'm doing now. I had a conversation with a good friend, which is Luis Diaz. She, he was the um, talent buyer at Space, we're a really good friend. He really made me famous in, in Miami and in the United States. He helped me a lot. So I called him and I told him, hey, Luis, look, I'm feeling bad because I want to do a kind of music that I'm not like into it right now. It's like everyone thinks you are something that you are not. And he told me, David, you have to be David Tord, whatever it happened. It can go really good or you can crash completely, but you have to be you. And that was like the last input, like, okay, if he tells me this, he's right for sure. Let's do it. And it's been five years since then. And I'm so happy. I mean, my life changed. Um, Hotel is giving me a lot of good things to my life because it's my own brand. And it's my baby. It's my other baby, you know. I've designed everything since the beginning. The artworks, everything. So, okay, now I'm putting out merchandise and I do it on my own, like however I want. And that's something that it goes with me since ever. Like I always wanted to do whatever and don't let nobody tell, tell me what I have to do, you know? Like very punk acti- attitude. <laughs> so then I had hotel radio. I mean, everything around the label, it gives me happiness. And it gives happiness to other people, but I still releasing with other labels because I respect them a lot and they are bigger, they help me. Like I'm so I mean, I'm thrilled to be on Tour Room. You know, it's one of my favorite labels in ever. In the last three years, I think I released five, six songs. We have more coming. I'm also on Dorn Records because Dorn sounds very like Sander Van Dorn but they give me the opportunity to sound like David Tord on Dolan Records. And that's amazing, you know? The same with Spinning. Spinning has, you know, you all know Spinning Records is like the major label in, in dance music. And I can be myself as well. I know I'm repeating this all the time, that I like to be myself, and, but it's, it's like the, the focus of my life, you know? So, and another th- good thing is that they know I have a label, They respect it, they're happy that I have my own label, but I release with them. So I think it's a complete, really good match, you know?
0: It couldn't be better. That's amazing, and I've really got to say, this is my house, which is on Tool Room, in which I'll put a link in the show notes. The low end and groove on it is insane. I actually heard it. It was on a, a Apple Music playlist when I first heard it, and I was just like, "What is this?" Because it's so fresh. The low end's so fat and groovy, and it's just got that proper rhythm to it. And when I heard that, I wondered, would you say like some of the reggaeton or like the, the Latin side of things is still like inspiring your music today? Because it has got that kind of like groovy syncopated rhythm to it.
1: This is my house. I'm really happy about that song, you know, because I wanted to, like, to rescue the old David from 12 years ago or 15 and make it for today, you know? So this is my house. It, like, it really represents me. I'm super happy about this song and I have only good words about it. I know it's maybe not that kind of song that's going to be number one worldwide. You never know that. But it's a song for DJs and that's the music I do. I make music for DJs and something you can play in a club and get the crowd going really nuts. Or at least be proud of you playing something different, you know? So that's my kind of tech house. I know tech house is super trendy right now, but I don't sound like the tech house I, out there. I still
0: sound like how tech house it used to be. That's special. And thanks so much, Shannon And honestly, the... Addict on Hotel, the Bellamore remix as well, which is coming up, and of course, This Is My House. They all sound so unique and interesting, but it, they're still, as you say, they're made for club. it. It is dance music, it is tech house, and it does make you groove, and I, I do love that about that. So, unfortunately, David, we are coming an end to the podcast, and I have this question that I ask every guest, as it creates some interesting answers, and sometimes um, contradicting among different people, but that's the beauty of of this world of music. It could be local to Barcelona, it could be national or international, but what change would you personally like to see in dance music in the next three to five years?
1: That's something that we're already working on it, you know, cause honestly, who is the owner of music industry? The producers, I mean, who makes the changes? Who makes the music? Who decides what's gonna sound? us, but we're under the record labels and I'm not talking about the record labels I work with, I'm talking about all the record labels and the guys that manages the big industry, so they're like okay, let's go for Latin now everything's Latin, I'm okay with that I mean, okay, it doesn't bother me but we are the producers who make the music scene to change so I would really love to see the small club coming back. Those rooms with 800 to 2,000 people, 3,000 maybe. Festivals got to steal for sure. I have nothing against festivals. But I mean, that thing of working the whole week and then waiting for Friday to arrive and get a nice new T-shirt and go to the club. Don't look on your phone. Just dance don't try to hook up on girls because you're in a club, bro. That's not the place. You know what I mean? So just go there, unleash yourself and whatever it happens at the end, if you hook up with a girl, that's beautiful and welcome, you know? But I think, I'm not missing the old days, but I think we should look back and remember how it used to be and make it happen again. And it's happening already. And what I would like to see is music being the main point in our industry and not how many followers you have on instagram and i'm not saying this because i have 25k that i'm super proud of those guys following me because they follow me because of my music nothing else i didn't pay anyone to have those followers so you know i mean the only important thing here is to make people happy that's why we make music and we play music because we make people happy and then th- that make us happy it's not about money it's not about anything else than a global happiness and leave a legacy so when we die the music
0: gonna still there you know Wow, what a positive note to end on, David. Thanks so much for sharing that. And it, it's so true. One, I think with lockdown, loads of people can't wait to just go back out and experience live music. But I've always said it. It's the intimacy, it's the those really kind of just intimate moments on the dance floor. Not really at festivals, but in smaller venues where there's the energy, there's the connectedness, and I can't wait to experience that once again. So thank you so much for being on the podcast, David. It has been an absolute pleasure
1: thank you bro i mean i appreciate you thought about me and i can say something interesting on your podcast and thanks for the good job see you i see you in some club someday thank you bro
0: so i'd like to say a huge thank you to david for being on this episode of your music industry podcast huge shout out to david for the interesting conversation first time i've ever covered family life on a podcast too there's a lot to unpack there and kind of learn from not just having a family but also balancing relationships in the industry too if you haven't checked out David's music, I'd recommend the track on Tool Room called This Is My House. The low end on that track, there's some incredible groove and pump in the low end of the track. And that's one thing that really caught my eye in the recent weeks, as I mentioned on this podcast. So definitely check that out. So I'll be back on Monday at 1 p.m. on YouTube with a video breaking down how you can use Instagram guides to market your music and make easy content. So until then, stay safe, stay well, and stay productive.